Welcome to the HSCT Warriors Podcast, bringing voice to the journeys of HSCT Warriors worldwide. I'm Dr. Jen Stansberry Koenig, or Zen Jen, and so grateful to share this story with you. As we continue to grow the HSCT Warrior community, illuminate the invisibilities of autoimmune disease, recognize the possibilities of a future free from disease progression, connect through our shared experiences, and advocate for an inclusive society. We're so glad you've joined us. It's always so great to connect with you. I know. So how's life? Life is, I'd say, life is pretty, pretty good. Four years out now that we are. How about you, Allie? How's life Life, for you? It's pretty good. It's pretty good. No complaints. It's, It's nice. Can't believe it's, you know... I mean, it's it's strange. It feels like when you say four years, it's not that long, but it feels like it's longer. Right, like it's a lifetime. It's been a long four years. <laughs> right, but at the same time, like I could go right back in my mind. I can go right back to being in that hospital bed. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I do think it's been a long, long four years. Well, and let's talk about that for you in the context of recovery, right? Because for you, it was a lot of gut issues and mm-hmm. cognitive issues. And so mm-hmm. how are those things doing four years out? Pretty good. My, um, my gut issues are good. I don't have any pain from any of that anymore. And that's still great psychologically. I'm still in the mess of it, um, but I've come to a better understanding with it. I find that it's a, it's, I have a relationship with the psychological side of it. And so for me, it's just a nice dance and I find balance in that. Um, I fought it, you know, I tried to fight that balance because society, you know, tells, tells you that you should not have certain thoughts about yourself and the stress of fighting those thoughts was actually worse than me just accepting that they're there if that makes sense well it does and so maybe um you can share a little bit more about how you found the way to acceptance i think a lot of it had to do with um menopause Menopause has been a humongous part of my journey and learning how to accept what comes along with menopause and the changes in my body. And I'm still in the thick of it. And so the orthorexia part that came on during the worst parts of my MS, when my digestion was just so bad that it was just, it was so painful Mm. to eat I, I couldn't stand to be in the room with food. I couldn't stand to smell it because the, because to have to eat it was so, so painful. And the psychological journey to release that and knowing that I can eat everything without pain is great. But it, it was an 11, almost 12-year journey. And that doesn't just disappear. Right, yes. Yes. It just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. No, um, certain patterns and thoughts get ingrained certain, in a way. They really do. And, and eating disorders come in all, all forms and it left, it left its mark, you know, just like the lesions leave their scars. This left its scar in me. That makes and sense. I still look at foods and think they're going to make me sick. Even though they're not, I still think they're going to. And sometimes that can cause the body to rebel. Even, even, even if it's not physically going to psychologically, the mind can make the body do all kinds of things. We know that. Yes. (laughs) We know that that's, we all know that. And so I still have, you know, that 
it, it got to the point where I had to learn to accept instead of constantly pushing away the thoughts of don't think that way or why do you think that way? You're healthy now. You're fine now. You can eat things without pain or that's not going to make you sick or it was, it, it became easier for me to accept that this is just a part of who I am. It doesn't stop me so much from eating the foods. I just accept that that my brain goes to this place where the thoughts come up and I say, okay, I understand. And I either intentionally eat the food or I intentionally don't eat the food. And that's that. But I don't try to push away the, the thought that's happening anymore because that was causing more stress for me. Sure. And the battle and the dance, you know, it's like the fire dance, you know, you watch the fire dancing, which way it's going to go and how it shifts. And that's what I felt like I was doing. I was just trying to dance with these thoughts and how to move this way and that way to avoid them was more stressful and more exhausting and just accepting that this is a part of, of me and maybe it'll be gone one day completely but right now it's still there and orthorexia causes, you know, it's just an unhealthy relationship to food in the sense that, you know, because of what I struggled with in my symptoms of MS, food caused inflammation, food made me sick, food didn't digest for me. And again, Jen, it's very hard for people to understand that because it was neurological, right? It wasn't like mm. they found blockages in my system. There was no blockage in my esophagus. Right. It was some lesion in my telling colon. your brain to tell yourself exactly. that. Yeah. Right. It was the lesion in my spinal cord that, you know, was, was breaking down. And so my, my brain and spinal cord were saying, oh, the food's going in, but let's not, we're going to tell your, you know, esophagus in your stomach. We're just not going to send the signals right. And so it was like not releasing, you know, it's all neurological stuff that how the body communicates and people don't realize how intricate it is. Like it's eh, how detailed the body works. Um, and so it just caused this fear of food. It's just fear. Well, that everything was causing me pain. And that lesion, right, has like scar tissue around wherever yes. it had activity. Yes. And that's mm -hmm. still there, right? So it's your body still there. is still trying to heal that scar yes. tissue. Exactly. And or eliminate that scar tissue in order for your spinal cord or your spine to heal itself. Like that scar exactly. tissue is still in the way. Absolutely. And so until that can be cleared out. Uh, and that's the same, like for me physically, right? I still have right. this old damage that interferes with the signaling and interrupts my gait pattern. And no matter how hard I work to fix that or try to foster neuroplasticity and find new pathways, those are developing, but they're slow. So yep. slow. Yep. And sometimes that's frustrating. Um, you know, things just take time and patience. And sometimes we run out of patience and that's just normal right. human behavior. <laughs> right. Well, and so kudos to you for finding that acceptance, right? Because that in itself takes time and patience. It does. But I found that the acceptance of, of being able to say, okay, these are the thoughts that are part of my life. These are what, when I go to eat, these thoughts come up and I just accept them and I say, okay, I'm going to eat this intentionally or I'm not going to eat it. And that's my choice. And that's that. And I move on. But I, I just stopped fighting with myself. And I allow myself to say, this is just who I am. This is just something I have. It's just something that's part of me. And so, how, how does that feel? Much better, less stressful. It's much less stressful. So I feel better about it. That's wonderful. And cognitively, you know, I think that's the part of us that, that heals faster. <laughs> I think the brain, sometimes 
finds its new pathways quicker than other things. Um, you know, at the time of the transplant, for me, I was leading into early onset dementia at 47. And one of the options on the table for me was, well, you know, we think you should be wearing an Aricept patch. It's an Alzheimer's medication. Mm. So I had declined it probably out of sheer denial and fear and, you know, and then found the transplant. So, um, I've had incredible cognitive recovery. I, I definitely still have little things, but nothing like I was where, you know, where I was four and a half years ago. I mean, I couldn't sit in a conversation, you know, I couldn't sit at a dinner in a room full of people and be a part of a conversation. Mm. I couldn't follow what was happening. I could see everybody's mouth move. And even it was almost like I could hear them, but I couldn't make sense of what was being said. Mm. And I could have thoughts about what I wanted to say, but I couldn't make sense of it to myself to say it. And I was hanging on by a thread with work. I mean, I, I I don't even know how I kept my job, to be honest. I'm not sure how I kept my job as long as I did. I really don't. I think back today, I look back sometimes and I think, I don't know how, I how that happened. Because I really couldn't process things. It was so hard for me. And as a parent also with a child that was in high school at the time, Talk about feeling like a failure in something. Mm. It wasn't that I felt like a failure as a mother. I never felt like a failure as a mother. But when it came time to, you know, look at my daughter's homework or, you know, offer, you know, how can I help? Or, I mean, I, I'm fortunate because Lizzie is, was very, very smart and really didn't need my help. It was more that she just wanted me to be there with her to bounce things off of. Sure. But... I remember times where I would go into my room and have to shut the door or go into the bathroom and, and, and just sob at the thought of like, it's one thing to know that the kids today are learning so much diff so differently than we did. Right. So even the process is different than we learned. And maybe we don't understand some of those processes, but I couldn't even make sense of the work. Mm. It was like, I, I felt like I couldn't even have passed fifth grade. Mm. And that, that was a feeling of incredible failure. At the time, that's how I was, that's how I felt. Sure. It made me feel really not smart. <laughs> well, um, baffling, like it can feel overwhelming it, it and mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. so confusing. And then you don't know why. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, absolutely. Today, um, things are a lot better. Um, I'm doing so much better that way. I still have certain things like I, reading books is still challenging for me, meaning I can get through certain pages and then I tend to fall asleep when I read books. Mm. So I'll start to read and then I'll get tired and fall asleep no matter what time of day it is. Mm. So, and then when I go back and I, I, I I don't always remember what I read. So then I'm backtracking. And so I, I very rarely get through a book. In fact, to be honest, see, I'm, I'm trying to hide it. But to be honest, <laughs> right. I almost never get I almost never can read a book. Hmm. So when I want to read books, I have to get them on Audible now. And then they're just read to me. And when they're read to me and I listen to them on Audible, I can process them. Wonderful. So I've learned that there are just different ways of learning. There's just different ways that work for me. I listen to podcasts all the time. I'm very addicted to podcasts because, again, when I'm listening to things being taught to me, then I can process them differently versus looking at them on paper and then forgetting them. I don't know if it's an auditory thing, maybe. I'm not sure. But Audible, I seem to take it in differently. I'm not sure why. Even if you read something and you can retain and, and remember, 
that actually then translating it and speaking it out loud or teaching others or talking, talking it out mm-hmm. to share with others as helps just embed that learning. Um, right. So that's, you know, I just have learned um, new things and I'm learning new things about my body, which has been probably the most frustrating parts of regaining. So prior to all of this, as sick as I was when the transplant came about, I didn't have issues with my gait. Mine were, you know, invisible symptoms. They were digestion. Mm. They were brain. Um, I did start to lose some of my things. I mean, I was choking on my food. I was lose. I lost some of my speech. I did lose feeling in my body and use of my dominant hand part time. But, but up until that last year leading up to the transplant, I was very physical. I was very physically active. I worked out like mm-hmm. six days a week. That was my thing. And that has completely changed. Um, and I, I, I think it's menopause. Um, that's been a little bit challenging. My body's shifted. And I do know that some of the things that were there before that I struggled with with my MS, which were issues with my neck, had a lot of pain with my MS also, mm. tremendous pain. And I remember I used to hear sometimes doctors would say, well, MS doesn't come with pain. And I was like, hmm? um, have you had the disease? <laughs> I know. I used to love that. I'm like, oh, you're not the right doctor. Right. Um, and I had so much pain and all of it was in my, my neck and my shoulders. And so I've had some issues with that. Um, I don't have any new lesions. I haven't had anything come up, but I have had a lot of issues with my neck. So it seems that I can't do anything that puts weight bearing. So no weight bearing exercises, no lifting weights. Every time I try, it leads me into a migraine. Mm, That's that's terrible. Um, Every single time, even um, trying to do push-ups. I've now moved into band assisted push-ups, mm. um, which for a while was working, but now is not working and is still causing issues. So now I, I'm constantly trying to figure out different ways to keep my muscles, trying to keep my, my muscle strength and my bone strength because I did, uh, within the last year, not even year, I'd say within the last Six months, I had a DEXA scan. Yes, I need to do bone that. Scan. Yeah, I had a, a mammogram and a DEXA scan. And they the DEXA scan said that I was, was showing signs of osteoporosis, mm. which I, I have to say I was a little surprised about. Do now, they correlate that at all to chemo or steroids? Well, that's what I was wondering, but I, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know who to talk to that, talk to about that because, so this is my other thing, Jen, um, that I've become really passionate about, especially living where I live right now in Key West. I love Key West. I love the lifestyle. I love the beauty of it, but the medical system in Key West is not good. Mm. It's just not good. And I found that people don't seem to really understand, like just there's just no answers. And that's already been, been very frustrating for me. Um, so when it comes to trying to figure things out, I'm, I'm finding myself having to just do a lot of research and listen to a lot of podcasts and sure. try to just try to find other people out there that are putting out information and, and just siphon through it because I don't know the answer. I want to believe in my gut that, the chemo and steroids that I was going through the first that year leading up to the transplant when I was on steroids for almost a year. And then the chemo, I have to believe that had a huge impact on my bones. It's just instinct. I, I just, in my, in my gut and my cells and my bones, I believe that. And 
you know, after the transplant, I had, you know, my knee went out, I had to have surgery on my knee, and then my neck got weaker. And I just feel like, you know, between that, and then of course, menopause and losing all that estrogen, everything just the joints and everything just seems to have been more challenging. So I am finding that I also have have found that there's really, I personally have not come across whether it's online or in gyms here, or even in my past, I had not come across any trainers that really understood menopause Mm. and the challenges of it. Mm. And also MS and the challenges of that. Now I know there's the MS gym and that's virtual, but when you tie in, also, you add in menopause to that. And so for a lot of women that have gone through HSCT, you're going to hit menopause after that for a lot of them. Right. I did. Not 100%, but I would say, you know, it's a huge percentage that you're going to go into chemo if you're older. You're going to go into menopause. So you you add that into the mix of MS and menopause, and I find that there is just nobody that seems to have the answers of how to exercise safely and effectively to keep your bone strength and your muscle strength healthy. So I'm now at the phase of going, hmm, okay. So what's the next step in figuring that out? If I can't find the answers, do I have to make the answers? Mm. Cobble it together as your own self-advocate. So, you know, do I go get my personal training certification and then look to study between combining autoimmune disease and, and menopause, like just really, 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 really specific. Mm. Not even that I want to be a trainer, but to find my own answers because sure. I'm not, I'm not finding them from anybody else anywhere. I have, I have looked and looked and looked. And I just, I mean, even doctors, I just go to just discuss the options of menopause and like the best ways to deal with, you know, how the body's changing. And I can't seem to find answers. It's, it's amazing to me that this topic is just not, not, that's not discussed. It's just not talked about enough. Yeah. Because I'm sure I know you were taking, um, some kind of supplement or a few intros ago that we last yeah. spoke. You and were... I'm still taking that. I'm still taking that and continue to take that. But, you know, the, I went to see a doctor here and they said, well, you sh- we think you should take bioidentical hormones. Now, for anybody that doesn't know the difference between hormone replacement therapy and bioidentical hormones, sure. they're actually the same thing. The difference is that they say they like to tell you bioidentical hormones are plant-derived. They are made in a lab. They are synthetic hormones. Um, it's just a fan, it's a name. Bioidentical hormones and hormone replacement therapy are, are actually Same. pretty similar. Mm. They're really similar. And it's just a different way of getting them. You're applying them onto the skin to get them. So, and the longer the farther out you are in the cycle of menopause. So like I'm four years out and I think you're, are you the same? Oh yeah. Yeah. So the longer we are in the process and post-menopause, the more dangerous it becomes to take hormones. That's what this science says. So then you're left with, okay, so what do we do? What do we do to get to help ourselves? So that's so interesting. If we're tracking our CBC every couple weeks, right, and our blood counts to see how our platelets are coming along, right? Like maybe we need to be also looking at our hormones for Uh, males and females and thyroid. That is fantastic, interesting information, actually. And the thyroid, too. I mean, yeah, mine was obliterated. Yeah, mine, I got Graves' disease afterwards, a year after. I have zero th- thyroid. I take both hyper and mm-hmm. hypo yeah, or I take meds for both. Um, well, it's funny that you say that because I think, well, I tested, I, it shows even today I show antibodies for Graves, even though my hormone, my, 
levels are normal right now, but my antibodies show grades. But I won't. I wouldn't be surprised if I have both also. And I say that because mm. I've gained so much weight. Really. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah, hormone definitely, or um, thyroid definitely plays a role in in that. Yeah. Two years ago, I had I had lost so much weight. Like I had gotten down to incredibly, incredibly low weight. Um, and they said it was the graves that did it and because my at the time my le- I, my levels were so high, like ridiculously high that's how I got diagnosed and then um well, maybe there was three years ago and they put me on medicine medicine for that and I've been off medication now for over a year oh really yeah they took me off of the medication because my levels they were afraid it was flipping to the other side. Mm. And so they took me off the medication and just said, we're going to just watch it. If you have no active symptoms that you're hyper. And I didn't, my heart, my heart rate has been normal. My, I've had no shaking. I've had no swelling, but I've had such a humongous weight gain and my levels are normal, but my TSH is almost like almost zero it Mm. it won't come back hasn't come back yeah so it's almost non-existent right yeah so you may need supplement for that so i don't but but the funny thing is i don't know who to go see for that nobody here i'd have to go to a specialist probably in miami or go back to philadelphia and see somebody would that be a rheumatologist Endocrinologist. Endocrinologist. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I don't see one. My primary care physician is brilliant. And so she. I was going to say, you that. must have a very brilliant doctor. She's amazing. Uh, You're I'm very lucky. So lucky. You um, are so lucky. <laughs> and, and like, but I still want to go to her and say, let's look at my antibodies for um, Epstein-Barr. I don't know that we've ever looked. Oh, I looked. But I definitely had Epstein-Barr in high school, right? And now with all this research coming out and knowing I feel so much better, I always feel better when I'm on either an antiviral or an antibiotic. And I know it destroys the gut, so I don't, I know not to be on them forever, right? But What is the the answer then to stay on, like, how do we stay is it supplements? Are we are we looking to keep our system fighting the antiviral thing? I have no like, idea. Like I mean, L-lysine. I, I would take L-lysine probably daily. That's antiviral. That's a big antiviral supplement that you can take. So I would take that or lemon balm. Mm. I'd probably take those every day. And that's like we've done the genetic um, sequencing just to see like where I have mutations. Mm-hmm. And I think we talked about this a while ago, right? So my yeah. body doesn't make the complement to glutathione that it needs to help eliminate cellular waste. And so I take a supplement that has the catalase in it, and I always feel better and function better when I take that supplement. It's amazing. I also do better when I'm on an antiviral. And so for the right. longest time, I thought, well, maybe that's just because of the Lyme disease. Like, the Lyme disease oh, laying dormant, right? And, yes. and or wanting to become active again. And right. It, it, it's so interesting how all of these bugs <laughs> live in our bodies, right? They oh, just... And if you think too deeply about it, it can really freak you out. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> and, and I didn't know anything. Of, I mean, obviously, none of us knew about the Epstein bar at the time, but my sister who does not have MS, had mono mm. when we were kids, when we were teenagers. She had mono. I did not have mono. Seriously? Now, here's the weird thing. I remember, my mother does not remember this, but I remember when I was in elementary school. I remember there was, I was sick, and there was talk of me having something like the mumps or something. I didn't even know you could get the mumps. Now, there was a vaccine for it, was part of like one of the vaccines that you get when you're a kid. Yeah, measles, mumps, rubella. Measles, mumps, rubella. 
But apparently somebody said something about me having the mumps. Well, fast forward to all of this information coming out about Epstein-Barr, and I start reading and reading and reading. And I'm like, I don't think I had the mumps. But some of the symptoms of Epstein-Barr, I think maybe I had it then. Oh, wow. It's just interesting. And so when I went through... um, my endocrinologist stuff, like with the Graves disease and all these paneling, I decided to have the doctor run all these panels. It came up, Epstein-Barr. And I was like, wait a minute, do I have, do I have Epstein-Barr right now? This, is, this was back when I was going through the Graves stuff, so, so in 2019. And she's like, oh, no, no, you don't have Epstein-Barr now. It just looks like you had it at oh, some wow. point. And again, we didn't know the correlation until today, now that all these studies are coming out. Right. But I was like, oh, okay. And I didn't do anything with it. I didn't think anything of it until all these studies started coming out over the last few months. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, that makes sense. Well, and you can have... I think that's what I had when I was a little girl. Or you can have it and not even know you have it. And not even know you have it. You think you just think you have a cold. You think you have a flu. You think you have just something. Who knows? Yeah, I I got it from my friend's sister sometime in high school. Well, and it's interesting because when I went to Columbia University to figure out more about, like, once I found the, the Lyme disease, then I was like, okay, what is this? Is it the MS or is it Lyme disease? someone needs to explain this to me. And I went to Columbia university to their center for tick-borne illnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, and the neurologist there explained she is brilliant as well. Um, and they did like cognitive testing and the whole panel of blood work and MRIs and all the whole shebang. She said, you have both (laughs) MS is usually caused by some infection. We don't know which it is. In your case, it was probably Lyme disease. It could have been the mono you had in high school. It mm. could have been whatever other infection you might and have. And when was this that you went there? 2016, right before I found the transplant. So that okay. was January of 2016. Mm. It's amazing. Well, yeah. And so, like, she was just explaining that whatever infection you had was so strong in your system, it convinced your immune system to turn on its, on itself. Exactly. Exactly. And then it just kept replicating, right. And, and taking control of all those lymphocytes to carry the wrong mm-hmm. messaging. Right. And so then I'm like, <laughs> then, then when neurologists are trying to prescribe the drugs for me to control my MS, it should be based on, where those disease cells, are they my T cells or are they my B cells? Like, where is that, where is the majority of the disease in my particular chemistry, makeup and blood? But do they look for that? Do they really look for that? As far as I know, at least the neurologist I have seen, the neurologist who diagnosed me handed me three boxes and folders and pamphlets and told me to choose. They said, you go home and do your homework and research the drug that you would like to try first. And whatever you decide, you just let us know. Mm. Clearly I made the wrong choice because (laughs) (laughs) I got worse immediately. (laughs) Like so, so much worse. Well, I think a lot of us that happened to, because as we know, and as science has now shown these disease modifying drugs, aren't stopping the progression. It's a band-aid. Right. And it's trying to slow the progression of the disease, but it's also causing other symptoms because as pharmaceutical drugs do, and I won't go on that because there are places for them. There really are places for these drugs. But, you know, you're chasing one dragon after another. So and adding you're putting out one fire, adding right. You're putting out one fire and then another one pops up and the flames are shooting somewhere else. You know, it's like, it's like these wildfires, they get control of one, one area. And then it, it's like, you know, one ember shoots out and then it's 
another fire and then another and then another. And, and that's how pharmaceuticals work. You know, you're taking one to squelch the symptoms here and then that drug has some side effects and then you're it's just like you're constantly tracing. Oh my gosh. I, my heart goes out to the one person I interviewed just last season. She counted, I think, 32 medications she was on. Oh my God. That's just way too many. And then yeah. like you start looking at it and truly this one should not be taken with the other one. Right. Or this right. one right. was added because of the side effects from that one. And it's, was just that's way right. too much for anybody to handle mm -hmm. and the problem is that most doctors don't know those things and it's not their fault i don't blame them but the right thing to do is when you're on multiple medications is go to your farm pharmacist build a relationship with your pharmacist bring all your medications sit down with your pharmacist for a consult and say hey i want to schedule time i need to go through all the medications i know because they're the ones that know that's what they studied. Sure, exactly. Sit down with your pharmacist, make an appointment with them when they have time. Sit down with all your medicines and figure out where are their interactions. What what foods are you eating that could be interacting with, with your medicines? Which medications are interacting with each other? And, you know, figure that stuff out because your doctors are, they just don't know those answers. My doctor, she looks for that. Well, She's you, so you know amazing. what? You you have her one. She does. She like Googles before she writes me a prescription for anything. She's like, now wait a second. And she looks yeah, at the supplements and I take. That's so rare. And, oh my god. And gosh. you you must know that's rare. Oh, indeed. And and I'm so fortunate, but I want to yeah. talk about it so that anyone listening, right, recognizes the importance right of of just asking those questions. Even uh -huh. of the pharmacist, like you said, that definitely is the best person if your doctor That's is That's what not I used aware. to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I was on all these different medications, I always went to my pharmacist and I would say, I need to know how this is going to interact with this one and this one and this one. Always did. Because I, my doctor just didn't know. He just gave me medications. And so, and so I you're think it's really important. And so you're not finding a great doctor where you are in Key West. No. And I'm sorry for no. that. And so No, I'm not finding any good doctors here, unfortunately. And and if anybody listens to this and you happen to live in Key West and you're a good doctor, please yeah, right. please find me. Or any um, of the other keys. Like what about have you explored any of the other keys? Yeah, I don't think that I it's it's like there's no doctors <laughs> in the keys. I think that well, I think maybe they're coming here to retire. Oh, right, right. Um and so I haven't found any, any good doctors and, um, that's challenging, but, but there's a lot of good things about being here. So, so have you I considered like reaching out to Dr. Bird and just asking him some of these questions? Yes and no. I, I sometimes think he won't know the answers to some of them. So I don't want to call and waste his time or mine either. Sure. I try to think about who would be the best person to call that I could schedule time with that might be able to actually have some answers to some of these. I, I'm thinking it's a functional medicine doctor that might know some of this stuff. But all in all, I think, you know, health wise, I feel good. I am, you know, challenging, challenging myself to find new ways of exercising and I get frustrated. I try a new thing and then I get a headache and I say, okay, well, obviously that didn't work. You know, and so just trying to challenge myself to find new ways and learning acceptance of my body for what it is right now. And, and also something that I've talked about recently and we'll continue to talk about, which is one of the things society tells women today is, you know, we have, as women, we should be accepting of who we are at any size, at any shape. And and all of that. And, and I agree. And I am incredibly grateful for the body I have, which carried me through the transplant. And I, I, I truly am. But I also I also want to say, Jen, that I think it's it's OK. To, on one hand, be very grateful as we age and to age gracefully. But it's also OK to not like some of the things about your body. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I really do get upset about 
that conversation out there where we're not allowed to be upset because I think that's wrong. We can age gracefully. We can age however we want to age I mean, to each his own, right? Some, some women want to fight the effects of aging and have a lot of plastic surgery. Okay. That's their choice. Some women and women want to go gray and, and just age, let it happen naturally. Fabulous. Some want to do a little of each, however it works for each person. Stay in your own lane. That's that's for you to figure out. But we can do it and be grateful for however our body graces us. And at the same time, not always love every part of it. And want to do the good work to keep it healthy, right? So right. sometimes, yeah, you recognize, right. okay, well, that's maybe a little too much weight here. And I'm going to do something about this. Right. And when you can't do something about it, (laughs) when you are exercising and you are eating well and And nothing's changing, then yeah. And nothing's changing. It's you are allowed to be, it's okay to feel frustrated. Absolutely. If I was hiding in the closet and eating donuts and ice cream every day and saying, (laughs) I don't understand why I'm not losing weight or why am I still gaining weight? Of course. Well, that would be, you know, that would be my problem. <laughs> but it's the frustration of something isn't working. Like it should be doing something one way or the other. Well, yeah, you know, something is off and you're not something finding the answers you're looking for. And, and that's, right. that can be very That's frustrating. the frustration is mm-hmm. I can't seem to find anybody to talk to that, that can help me figure out what's off. It's funny. So, my but, husband always r- tries to remind me like, this could just be natural part of getting older. And I'm like, don't remind me of that, right? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm yes, gonna, that's right. the part I'm fighting against. Maybe it, it, it isn't is, my MS. Maybe it is just getting I, older. I think there are parts of it, but then, then you go and then I go on Instagram and I see like today it was on something and it said this woman, she's 106 years old, mm-hmm. 105, 105 years old. And she just ran a marathon. Wow. And it says she won for the category of 105 year old. And I thought she's probably the only 105 <laughs> right. year old running. So of course she won. <laughs> right. But I'm like, this woman's 105 and still running. Mm. So I get the fact that yes, we're going to age and things are going to change, but I will fight against the fact that we can still fight the aging process to stay healthy. And that's what I'm fighting for is to at least find answers. Because if I'm doing everything right to stay healthy, I want to I want to know that I'm doing it right. That's all. Because we have fought so hard to get where we are against our disease. Mm. And so I want to continue to be my best self, like to get the DEXA scan and say, well, you have, you know, the beginnings of osteoporosis. Mm. Well, then I need to know that if I can't lift weights because of my neck, I have to figure out how to keep my bone strength. Right. And if we know that lifting weights is the best way for women to increase their bone health, and I can't do that right now, then I have to find other weights. So that's, those are the little challenges that I am working with right now. Thank you for sharing those. But all good. I don't, I don't think that I was in this space when we talked for the last season, but, um, I launched my podcast. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Isn't so it my so business much fun? Partner, yes. It's so much fun to so my business partner, Tanya and I launched our podcast, a woman redefined and we're loving it. And so, you know, it's a learning process and we're doing it messy, you know, as we, as we learn, but we're loving it. That's exciting. And, um, yeah, everything else is good. That's Thank awesome. God. Well, my yeah, daughter's exactly. graduating college, which is amazing to think that she months. was in high school, <laughs> right? When we no. were in Chicago. I know. Yes. She is graduate graduating college in three months and moving to New York city. Very exciting. So that's all very exciting. Mm-hmm. So like thinking back, even in preparing for, transplant and Mm -hmm. like the time we met in Chicago, Mm -hmm. what might you say to that version of Allie about what to expect life to be like four years from now? Oh, or even advice on this side of transplant four years later, like what might you 
share with Allie to help ease her mind? I would say that I would say acceptance to be open and, and not so afraid of things to be willing to look at options, to try things in different ways, to definitely keep learning just continue to learn and continue to do research all the time for myself. That's been a really, really big piece for me is doing a lot of research for myself instead of always relying on just doctors. Or just one opinion. Or just one opinion. Mm. Just always doing research. And just be open to new things new possibilities in every, every aspect of life. Be open to possibility. There's so much that lies ahead that we don't know. And so to be open to the possibility of, of such new and amazing things. I love that. And I think that Allie before transplant might've been like, what do you mean? I am open. That's why I'm here. Right. <laughs> And I have asked the questions and I'm in control and I know this and it's going to be fine. No, I was so, I was too much in control. I was, I wasn't open. Well, there's a fear, um, right? There's so much fear. I so much fear. When I look back and I think about the amount of fear, but how, how can you not, when you're living with a disease like this, right? how can you not have fear when exactly. you, it, it changed. You go to sleep one day, you wake up the next day and something's different. How can you not be afraid? And completely robbed from you. Yes. It's scary. Terrifying. It's a scary way to live life. And I'm just, I just think that the transplant has been so, I'm just grateful. I'm really, really grateful for how it worked for me and the opportunities that it gave me you know, for, for these years and for, for whatever years I stay, you know, hopefully in remission, I just want to keep believing that there's, you know, new possibilities. There's just new things mm. out there Beautiful. to discover. Beautiful. And that's the exciting part of life is, you know, if, if you don't like what's happening today, it's always something tomorrow. That's so, the truth. I'm looking at a book on my desk right now. It says The Art of Possibility. It's the title. It's a brilliant <laughs> book. I love it. It's one of my favorite books. That's good. It's true. Possibility. There's so much possibility. We just have to be open to accepting and, you know, receiving. Really, it's receiving. Well, and accepting, like you said. Yeah. I mean, accepting, but it's also receiving because you know, we can believe in possibility. I always believed in possibility, but I also fought against it. Always fought against it. Change was hard, which comes from, you know, having too much control. Or believing that you had control. Right. Believing that I had control. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> That's a better what, way of saying it. What really do we have control over other than Nothing. our reaction? Right. Right. And even that right. can be out of control because it Ex can be absolutely. coming from a diseased state of mind. Oh, my gosh. I think that can be very out of control. Mm -hmm. And so kudos to you, right, for finding the acceptance when your brain does get out of control against food or in relationship to food. Right. Yeah. And recognizing I, yeah. like, OK, well, this is just part of the journey. Yeah, it's just part of the journey and it's a piece of, it's just a little piece of, of something in me right now and maybe it'll stay there for longer, maybe it won't, but it's here today and instead of fighting it, I just accept what is. And I guess what, it's a lot less stressful that way for me now. Mm. Now it just is, instead of a fight, it just is. Could you imagine sharing that with Allie four years ago? Absolutely no. <laughs> <laughs> Allie, Absolutely just accept no. what is. No. No, no, no. So that piece of advice didn't make it on your wall. No. <laughs> no. I just... So much change. I, I'd say there's been more change than 
in the last year than than in the last four. The most of it has come in the last year. And isn't it amazing? Like I, I still feel like I'm in recovery. Like there isn't some endpoint, right? I no. feel like the transformation continues. I hope so. I hope that the transformation continues on and on. Like it's just, it's like an evolution. I just want to keep growing and shifting. And I want to keep challenging myself. I just, I like, when I think about it, I, I go back to this image. When I, when I talk about it, I go back to this visual image of that fire dance of like sitting in front of a fire and you, mm. when you become one with it and you're staring at it long enough and it, it's like you're, it's comes to life and it's like dancing for you and it's moving in all these different ways. And that's how I see, that's how I look at my future self. It's, is that it's just the, the shift, this little move and this little dance this way and that way and around and up and down and, with all the little open possibilities and changes and growth and learning new things and trying new things and just never, I just don't want to stop. Hmm. Because I think we, we shouldn't, we, I think we should just always keep the world is changing like every second. So we have to keep going too. evolving. Yeah. Always. I had enough fear. I, I had so much fear. I lived with fear for my whole life. And I was afraid of so much. I was afraid of changing things. I was afraid of trying things. And now I don't want to ever let fear stop me from things. You know, it makes me think of Carol when I hear yes. you say that, right? Because she embodied that. She was not fearful. No. She was ready to try new things, no matter the Mm -hmm. cost. Right. What an inspiration. Right. And my tiara sits framed on my desk. Mm. There isn't a day that goes by in my life, not a single day, that I am not looking at that tiara, always knowing, you know, why I do my fight. You know, I keep going every day for me for Carol, for Brandy, um, you know, for all, for everybody that's going through this journey. It's, I just gotta keep going, keep believing, keep living. I've also had a lot of, a lot of lost friends this year, close friends. Mm. Um, it was a, a really tough year. 2021 was really difficult losing very people very close to me. And it, it, sh- it really shook me to the core. And I, I need to keep living my best life, even if that's, even on the days where I'm sitting on the sofa, binge watching Netflix, I'm going to do it with pure intention and gratitude and do it living my best life because I have to do it for the opportunity that I get to do it. Because I don't, I don't know when that time will come that I can't. And my friends aren't here anymore to be able to do those things. Mm. So I want to keep doing those things for all of them. With joy. Yes, with absolute joy. Mm. Because I know that none of them would want me to do it without joy. It's always a joy connecting with you. As it is with you. And I'm so glad you're doing well and healthy. Yeah, I haven't been sick and... I feel like I you, continue you stay to, that way. <laughs> to improve. Like, I mean, the, the improvements are slight, but even just earlier this week, um, I took Adelaide up to have a, a, her hair trimmed. And the my friend who trims our hair, my guru, we've been friends for 20 plus years. <laughs> and, you know, he made sure to walk in with like he came out to meet me at the car and wanted to walk me in because it was a sheet of ice on his gravel driveway. Mm. I'm like, you know, I appreciate it, but I'll be fine. He's like, I know you will. 
but it helps me feel better if I can hold on to your vest and make sure you don't wipe out on the driveway and I'm, you know, appreciative. And he's like, but you're moving well. And I said, well, I appreciate you noticing. And then I said, you know, it's like suddenly I can just do these things that I could not do four years ago for sure. But even just a few weeks ago, like, I don't know how or why, but suddenly I can remember being in aqua therapy, like water therapy in a pool before, like years before transplant, even two years before transplant and standing in the pool and trying to just like, as you're standing, you bend your knee and raise like your foot behind you, right? Like a try and kick your own butt. Mm -hmm. And my left knee, my left leg just could not, I could not do that. Like, couldn't do it in the pool, couldn't do it outside of the pool, even without gravity, I could not do it. And now I can't. Wow. What a good feeling. And it's like, I don't get close to my butt. Right? Like, I'm still not kicking my own butt, but I can make it to be parallel with the floor. So my shin is parallel with the floor. And sure. I mean, wow. Yeah. It You'll took take that a long, long time. And I don't practice that every day. And maybe I should start practicing. Right? But, I, mean, I say that too. Maybe I should be doing these moves every day. And we should, right? To really maximize. Yes, we but should. there's also a life of so much else to be. Right, exactly. And I'm not obsessed with perfecting uh -uh. my gait anymore because that adds stress. Mm -hmm. And so I've just, and that's that fine line that yeah. we have to walk about of, of learning balance and the dance, right? No and pun intended. No, but truly. <laughs> so I have two questions for you. Oh yeah. How does Adelaide see in the last four years? What does she see the difference? She definitely notices some improvement as well. Um, and it's a slow road and I, you know, will say like, apologize to her especially like walking up to school for a meeting or something and she's walking with me and so I'm like well let's try and stay on the right side of the sidewalk so we don't interrupt people because there I am like with my trekking poles taking forever and she's like no worries I'll just walk backwards so we can still talk <laughs> right and so she faces me so and, and I'm like well I don't want you to trip and fall because then I could trip and fall and then who's gonna get us up <laughs> <laughs> right. But she's like, I won't fall. It's fine, mom. And she makes it okay. And then we make it okay. And she's a trooper, right? Like just, yeah, of course. And, and total acceptance of whatever it is today, which is brilliant to see in an 11 year old. Right. Well, oh my gosh. I'm like, well, I just yeah. hope I'm not an embarrassment to you. She says, mom, you could never embarrass me. Oh, I don't care see, what those people nothing. think. And oh I'm my like, God. To have Priceless. for an 11 year old to already be learning that lesson. That's amazing. Oh, I'm so grateful. It, it, that's, that's seriously, that is just absolutely priceless. It truly is. Amazing. And she's been there like by my side, right through the whole thing. I, she, when I was in Chicago, she got freaked out by all the chemo bags and it was hard for her to FaceTime. And I get that. Because sure. it's so scary and unknown, and I know we. I just interviewed Lizzie. She was just on the podcast, and she talked about it. Yeah, but it was like you know, growing up with me. And then what was I can see? I already forgot what was the other thing I was going to ask you. Well, I guess, I guess it wasn't that important if it went out of my head. <laughs> but I did. Have, it was something else I wanted to ask you about. Um, oh, I've got it. All so. All the seasons of, of the interviews you have done and people you have connected to and talked to on this journey, who who is the farthest out that you have connected to or know of that had HSCT Lydia, and is still doing well? Lydia Rosenbaum and Barry got, I can't remember Barry's last, Barry something, I don't remember. She, she was one of Dr. Burt's first patients and she had Crohn's disease. And so many complications, it just, it was hard to standardize the protocol for Crohn's. So when you look at his earliest publication, she's the one patient that had Crohn's. And she's doing phenomenal now. 
And so how many years ago was that? Over 20 years ago. And she's doing well. She's... Yes. And Barry, I think, was one of the second or third cohorts that Dr. Burt treated. Bethany Papalardo also. She was, I think, 16 years out when I interviewed her a couple years ago. And are they MS? Yes. And they're doing fantastic. Have they been in remission all that time? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> See, that's hopeful. Yes. Yes. Wow. In my mind, every story is hopeful. And I've only interviewed one or two people who think or consider themselves as non-responders. And I know there are others out there and it pains me for them. Right. I just don't know that it's the transplant. Right? Like either right. in my mind, either the disease was so aggressive that a mm -hmm. stronger protocol was necessary. Right. Or was so, there secondary factors or secondary other diseases? Or, or... another infection that triggered your immune system to turn on itself. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe it worked for a couple years or a couple months. And there was, I mean, all that autoimmune disease is triggered by some infection. Going back to the beginning of our conversation, right. And my, right. My visit to Columbia university and Dr. Britton, I think is her name. It's just that if we get some infection, that triggers our immune system to turn on itself, well, then we relapse. And so maybe it's not that the transplant doesn't work. It's that we incur some other infection. I, I don't know. It's just interesting. I don't know either. Why? I'm not a medical doctor, and this is not medical <laughs> advice. But We're right, not like, giving medical advice here. No, but it's interesting. It is interesting. I mean, the, my biggest takeaway from seven... This is the eighth season, which is so hard to believe that I'm finding people willing to share their stories and I'm beyond grateful for that. And I do feel like the biggest takeaway is the importance of self-advocacy. Just like 100%. you're doing, right? Like just like you're doing now, you're not settling for not finding answers and you are doing what you can to research and ask the questions and find the next doctor and find the next opinion to seek the answer that you know you need and deserve. Right. And it's so hard to do when you are in a diseased mind state. Yes, it is. It's hard to do post-transplant, period. <laughs> I mean, gee whiz, that's one of the hardest things of being a human. It is. Because life is. tells you differently and society tells you differently. I was just going to see just answer. You just said the <laughs> thing that was about to come out of my tongue. Society tells us different. Yeah, it does. And that's where we have to, that's where we as human beings have to step up and tune out society and remember that each one of us is our own human, our own person. And we have our own stories and we have to stay in our own lanes. And remember that our story is not the same as the person next to you or the person on social media that you're looking at because there's only one of us. Each one is unique. As you say, the snowflake, we're all a snowflake. Mm, indeed. You know, I'm actually the snowflake disease. We are all snowflakes in everything. So that's what we have to remember that. Thank you for always giving me the opportunity to open your seasons. I can't believe this is your eighth season. Wow. I do this yeah. for the listeners. I do this for those willing to share their stories just to talk through the experience and feel heard. I don't do this for subscribers or. No, no, you started it for the same reason you're still doing it today. <laughs> but it is so awesome to see, like, at least on SoundCloud, which is where the podcast is hosted. There's been over 38,000 people who have listened around the world. That's amazing. Seriously. Since what, August of 2018? Yeah. Amazing. I can't believe it. You've, Already, you've done something really, really good. And out of, you took something and, and you made something beautiful out of it. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for showing up at the beginning of each season to share how you're doing. It's always so good to check in with you. Thank you so much for always thinking of me. I, I love being a part of it. And 
sharing where I am now and always listening to other people's stories because each, every person has something so inspiring. That is the truth. And it is amazing. Like how different every single story is. Mm -hmm. That is true. It's true. It's great to be a snowflake with you. (laughs) It is. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Allie. I wish you all the best in continued health and wellness and finding the answers that you are seeking. Oh, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate it. And you stay well. Continue on your journey. Indeed. Take care. Be sure to visit hsctwarriorspodcast.org where you can find notes from today's episode, submit ideas or feedback, and connect with resources and the HSCT Warriors Incorporated nonprofit. As always, special thanks to musical genius Billy Allitzhauser for sharing his superpowers to create the soundtrack, edit, and produce the audio to make this podcast possible. You can find us both when you subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. It has been amazing to connect with warriors worldwide, and we would love to hear from you about how the podcast has helped your journey with autoimmune disease. Take a moment to connect with us on Instagram or share this episode with someone you know that would enjoy listening. In the meantime, we hope you'll tune in next Wednesday for another episode highlighting another HSCT warrior. Until then, be a snowflake and embrace your superpowers. Be kind, be well. Jen Stansberry Koenig and the producers disclaim medical influence and responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. If you think you have a medical problem, please contact a licensed physician and take good care.